0: I think it's just this time of year we you really wish you had a fall break, me um, included. But here we are, trudging along. So, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Sid Drew, and I'm the campus minister for this thing called RUF, Reformed University Fellowship. RUF is a Christian campus ministry that's here to serve New Mexico State uh, in Jesus' name. RUF exists, let me tell you a little bit about RUF. It exists for the convinced and the unconvinced, for the believer and the unbeliever. For the student who has it, and the student who doesn't have it, whatever it is, for the skater girl and the hop on my mopad, if you only, have, only if you have a helmet, guy. In other words, RF exists for those who think Jesus is good all of the time, and those who think that Jesus is only good some of the time or not good at all. Wherever you are, whoever you are, thanks for coming. Welcome to RUF. We hope to get to know you, uh, and we hope you get to know RUF. And by we, I mean the people playing music, the people who have been here for a while. So if you have been here more than once, more than twice, uh, introduce yourself to somebody, say hello, um, and if this is your first time, thanks for coming, maybe talk to the person next to you. Um, and if you're feeling especially bold, you can move down a rail or up a row, okay? So again, not now, but afterwards is a great time to kind of talk and hang out. So, is doing the sign-up sheets wonderful? Okay, pass those things around. Uh, if you've signed up already, please don't sign up again. I see this every week, but it's important. Otherwise, you're gonna get like 18 emails. Okay. Um, so you don't have to sign up if you're just here visiting. and You're not comfortable doing that. It's totally fine. Um, it's just an opportunity for you to get to understand what's going on and are you and for you to kind of feel like you're more on the knowledge band here. Um, so, a couple other things. First of all, is anyone here in Crucis for Thanksgiving? Uh, do we have places to eat to Thanksgiving, so to speak? If you don't talk to Tear, my wife, okay? Uh, she will be more than happy to hook you up with a place to get some turkey and stuffing and Maybe you know a little bit of pumpkin pie. I can't promise. I don't want to <laughs> overreach. Um, but it's an opportunity, okay? Um, the other thing is, if you look in your bulletin on the back side of the announcements, uh, this is there's an open call to ministry team. Uh, we talked a little bit about this last week. The ministry team is an opportunity to serve uh, New Mexico State uh, through our UF. It's an opportunity to learn what serving in the name of Jesus looks like. Uh, really. There's a a bunch of folks on it, you can talk to them about it, Uh, you can talk to me about it afterwards. The prerequisites are these, you need to believe in Jesus, okay? and you need to believe in what REF's doing. Uh, So much so that you're willing to spend some time and some energy uh, and dedicate it to what we're trying to do on campus. It's not a ton of time, but it is some time. Uh, So if you're interested in learning how to serve or to serve, come talk to me, you've got my info in the bulletin just in case that doesn't work out. Um, I'm more than happy to talk to you about it, even if you're a little bit interested um, and I will say this and I, I don't mean to be mean at all it's not anything offensive but freshmen you can't be on ministry team sorry because you don't really part of it's like we just don't want to throw you on that when you're still trying to figure out this whole New Mexico State world that we live in okay it doesn't mean we don't love you okay or you have to love you big open arms for RUF okay and for you Finally, look, this is an opportunity to come and hang out international lights. People, international lights, okay? If you don't know what that is, it's a wonderful place to hang out and listen to some Turkish techno and drink some caffeinated beverages and get a really good dessert, okay? Or maybe a good Euro, Gyro, Hero. How do you even, is, is that like a big debate that I'm going to cause all of a sudden? The room's going to divide on each wall over how I pronounce that?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> okay. If you need directions there or if you need a ride, come talk to me, talk to Jen, talk to some of the musicians, uh, and we'll give you a ride and, or directions. Okay. So, as many of you know from the emails and the Facebook posts, uh, ordinarily in large groups we've been talking about Elijah and Jonah and the story behind them, which is really about God's heart for his people. And this time, however, because of what's been going on in the last month, especially last week with Emily Lyons' death, we're going to talk about death, and we're going to talk about what Jesus says and does about death. Okay? Um, It's a break from our normal study, and we're talking about this because a handful of students have died recently. In the last month or so, at least four students that you probably know have died. Um, there's Brian who's a Kappa Sig who died from suicide. There's Ryan who died in a car accident in Silver City. There's Eric who fell off of the roof of a barn on campus and passed away. And then finally Emily Lyne who died Wednesday night in her dorm room in Garcia, okay? So we are surrounded um, by in living in a, not an easy time, okay? And so I wanted to kind of take that on head on uh, death in general is not an easy topic to address. Honestly, this is extremely hard for me. It would be much easier for me to keep plowing away in the Old Testament okay, and talking about Elijah and about um, that story. And it's especially hard when all of us in the room have been emotionally and spiritually impacted by these deaths in some way or another. Maybe we didn't know them very well, but it's still uh, very pressing on our hearts. And a man named Steve Brown once told me, death is scary, it scares every one of us. It's sad, it's a big deal, it's not natural, it's a tragedy. You know, he's right. Deep down inside, we all know that death isn't the way it's supposed to be. Death is not normal. And it especially feels not normal when we think about college-age students, people your age, dying prematurely. I think inside of us, we all know this is shocking, and it feels terribly bitter, and I also want to realize that each one of these people, each one of their deaths, is a very big deal, okay? And that's why we're trying to talk about it. And really, there's not a text in the Bible that perfectly addresses the range of emotions that we're all feeling right now about these people who've passed away, okay? Some of us didn't even know them. Some of us knew them really well. Some of us lived next door to them. Some of us have known them since growing up. But I think that a passage in Scripture that comes very close, at least for me and how I feel, about these deaths is John chapter 11, verses 17 through 46. Okay, In this passage, Je- Jesus comes in comfort. He comforts Mary and Martha and even dead Lazarus. He comes to comfort. Is it like a thousand degrees in here? Awesome, um, just wanted to check that that wasn't me. I'm sweating up here already. So, uh, maybe, is the door, if we crack the door, is that going to work at all? Was that helping? I don't know. Okay. See if it works. If it doesn't, we can close it again. I don't, and then we can all just sweat together. Okay. Okay. Back back to the passage here, okay? So, Jesus is comforting Mary and Martha and even dead Lazarus, Okay. And he answers. Also, he's addressing head-on all of the numbness and all of the pain of death. Okay, all the non-feelings and all of the extreme feelings that death causes. And he's answering our silent and most secret questions about who God is and where God was. In this passage. So, with these thoughts in mind, turn in your white bulletin. I know, new color or colorless color uh, to the inside right to our passage this evening. We're going to look at John chapter 11, verses 17 through 46. Okay, You have a scripture that's the fourth book in the New Testament. John. The Gospel of John. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You can stand for the reading of scripture. I'd appreciate it. And Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face unwrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Friends, the heavens and the earth will pass away before one letter, one letter of the word of God becomes void. Would you pray with me? Father, this is a long text, uh, but a beautiful one, maybe a familiar one, but I pray that you'd help us to hear it and to see it with uh, new eyes. I pray that you'd help us to read this passage over the situation that we're feeling, the situation that we're living in in New Mexico State. I pray, Father, that you would give us Um, insight into the text. Give us wisdom. But move our hearts, Father. I just pray that you change our hearts about who you are. Address the secret, silent questions that we can't even ask ourselves at night. I pray, Father, that you would be um, with this time. Tune our hearts to seeing your grace and your mercy. And I pray that wherever we are, that you would meet us and that you would comfort us. In your Son's name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Keep me seated. Okay. Let me set the scene here for what's going on. Okay. Jesus, Mary, and Martha, and Lazarus, at this moment, Mary and Martha have sent for Jesus' word and said, Hey, our brother Lazarus is very ill. Would you come and would you heal him? Right? A pretty normal request. But Jesus doesn't come quickly. He doesn't go to heal Lazarus. Instead, he waits an extra two days before he goes to Lazarus at Bethany. And that's where our story picks up at Jesus' arrival in Bethany, his arrival with Mary and Martha. And his coming to Lazarus is greeted by Mary and Martha, and both say to him the same thing Lord, if you had been here, Lazarus, our brother, would not have died. They say the same thing. Both of them, identical. In other words, this is what they're saying. Jesus, where were you when Lazarus died? Where were you when it really mattered? Where were you, Jesus? And behind this question, behind this original statement, is a doubt. Mary and Martha don't doubt that Jesus is powerful. He could have healed Lazarus, after all. They doubt that Jesus is good. They doubt that Jesus is good. Jesus could have prevented Lazarus' death, just like he could have prevented the death of Brian and Ryan and Eric and Emily. He could have. Let me just address our feelings about the one student that I knew best, Emily Lyon, for a minute. Almost all of us in our UF knew her, yet we are all dealing with his death very, very differently, even now. Some of us are feeling guilt about how little we actually knew her. Some of us are feeling destroyed because we knew her so well. And some of us are feeling nothing at all. And that's okay. All of those emotions and all those feelings are in this room. But also in this room, lurking like the thousand pound gorilla in the corner, is a question. A secret, huge question. God, where were you when Emily died last week? Where were you? If you had been there, Emily would not have died. Where were you when it really mattered? But God was present last Wednesday night in Emily's dorm room in Garcia, and he's still very good. And we read this in this passage. That's the assurance that we have tonight. And we, we hear it in the answers, and we see it in the way that Jesus interacts with Mary and Martha and their question. In John chapter 11, verses 17 through 44, Jesus turns towards Martha, then towards Mary, and finally towards Lazarus himself in very, very different ways. But in all the many ways that Jesus comforts us and comforts these people, we have to understand there's a common denominator that he says over and over and over again He, Jesus, is bigger than death. He, Jesus, is better than death. That's what he's saying over and over again. No matter if he's weeping, no matter if he's resurrecting the dead, no matter if he's giving a theology lesson. He is bigger than death and he is better than death. So verses 17 through 46 tell us the simple truth. Jesus is bigger and better than death. And then it asks us a question. Do we believe that Jesus is the resurrection of the life? All of us, wherever we are, do we believe he's the resurrection of the life? look, and I've said this before, it feels like we're surrounded by death right now. Because we are. Okay? Are we ready to face death with Jesus? Or are we going to burrow our head in the ground like an ostrich? That's the question that we have tonight. And that's what I'm trying to get at. That's what we're going to try to get together. Okay? Our passage tells and shows us Jesus' relationship to death. So as you're familiar with this, this is an outline of the passage. Verses 17 through 27, Jesus truthfully tells and then tells Martha he's bigger than death. He tells Martha and he tells us truthfully he's bigger than death. Verses 28 through 44, we see Jesus lovingly show Mary, Lazarus, and us that he's bigger than death. So he truthfully tells and then he lovingly shows. Okay, that's what we're seeing. And the conclusion is the same no matter what Jesus is doing. He's saying, I am bigger and better than death. And then Jesus' question for Mary and Martha and Lazarus is the same question for us. Do we believe this? Do we believe this? No matter where we are, do we believe this? So let's look at the scripture. In verses 17 through 27, we see this passage. Jesus arrives in Bethany. But notice it's four days after Lazarus has already died. Martha comes out to the road to greet Jesus and speak with him. But notice that Mary does not get off the couch. She doesn't come to greet Jesus at all. Some of us, like Martha, turned to Jesus immediately when we heard that these people died. We turned to him immediately and came to him in prayer. And some of us, like Mary, didn't we didn't immediately turn to Jesus in prayer when we heard about the students' deaths. And some of us maybe still haven't prayed about this. And I want you to see the different ways that Jesus ministers to all of us in our reactions to him. Jesus comforts the Martha who eagerly runs to him with all the right answers. And then we see Jesus comfort Mary who reluctantly comes, but honestly comes as she is. In a very different way, Jesus ministers to her. And the important thing is to come to Jesus in moments like these. And that's why we're talking about this right now. Not because I have all the answers, I don't. Not because I know what to do, I don't. That's been clear to me the last week. I have no idea what to do in these situations. Okay? But we're coming because wherever we are, Jesus will comfort us if we come to him. Whether you come out of a genuine desire, or you come because you think you have to, or because you come reluctantly with just a little mustard seed of hope that something will change and something will be different. So Martha comes quickly to Jesus and asks her question, where were you? But then she adds this theological afterthought that we read in verse 21. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And that afterthought is a certainly beautiful theological statement to say. But Martha does not believe it. She does not believe that Jesus can do anything. How do we know that? Because Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And Martha thinks, yeah, right. And says, gives a beautiful theological answer in verse 24. Okay? She's thinking, look, Jesus might have been able to heal Lazarus before he died, and even now give peace to her, or maybe he could actually sort of provide some food for the funeral. But Jesus certainly can't raise the dead. He has to have some limits after all. But look at the way that Jesus corrects her, corrects Martha, and tells Martha as a powerful truth. What does he say? I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live, and everyone who believes in me shall never die. Okay, that might be a very familiar text to some of you. What the heck does that mean? Okay, What does it mean? Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, nicely puts what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is promising us He's promising to turn death into resurrection. He's saying, I'm going to bring out of this death something even greater than what was before. I'm going to bring out of this death something greater than what was even before. Do we see that? But what does that mean? I think that means that the things that we say about heaven, like he's in a better place, or she's in God's hands, are even better than we think they are. That's comfort. Jesus isn't just patting Martha's head, and saying sweet words of support, like, there, there, dear. Or, time heals all wounds. Or, oh, we can all just imagine Lazarus now, playing with the dog, Fluffy, that was in the home, and now's died. Okay? He's not saying those things. Jesus is promising something huge. He's promising something full of life and resurrection, to those who believe. He's saying, those who believe will never die, and they will always live. And the quality of this new life won't be the same as it was here on earth. It will be infinitely better. Let me turn to C.S. Lewis. He describes this life, this heaven, beautifully. Lewis's wife, Joy Gresham, I don't know if you guys knew this, but C.S. Lewis was married. And he was married to this woman named Joy Gresham, a New Yorker, a British gentleman. Married to a New Yorker, okay? And she died shortly after they got married of cancer. Lewis was well acquainted with grief and death in his own life. And he wrote about the death and the grief in heaven in many places. Here's one place where he wrote about it. It's called a grief observer. It's a very raw and honest look at what C.S. Lewis was feeling about heaven. He said, "Don't don't come talking to me about the consolations, that's the reliefs of religion or I shall suspect you don't understand. We know heaven can't be filled with family reunions on the further shore and cigars. Reality never repeats. The exact same thing is never taken back and given back. We should all like the happy past restored, but that's not what heaven's like. Instead, so do you get this that Lewis is saying, look, what you think is like heaven, you think the best time on earth, you think the happy moments you had, heaven's just going to reproduce those somehow. He's saying that's totally wrong. That's not how it works. That's not what the Bible says. Instead, it says this, and this is what Lewis tells us. Our worst moment in heaven far exceeds our best moment on earth in intimacy and in pleasure. He explains that when it comes to heaven's unknown delights, we're like a young child whose chief delight is chocolate. This young boy can't understand yet imagine there are greater future pleasures than eating chocolate, okay? So you tell him about learning how to drive a car, right? Isn't that wonderful, getting around, not being in the minivan anymore? And he asks whether he's actually going to be sucking on a chocolate truffle while he's changing the gears, okay? Or you tell him, look, you've got this wonderful thing ahead of you, a first kiss, and he asks if there are rest periods where he can eat the rest of his Twix bar, <laughs> Okay? That's what we're like. Heaven, life after earth, life after death, is so much better, so much bigger than our lame greeting card condolences can even grasp. Do we get that? Heaven is bigger and better than death. That's the point. And I think again of Emily Lyon because I know her the most. Emily wasn't the celebrated star quarterback or the popular, beautiful cheerleader. But she was so lovely in so many ways. But I think most of us in this room and in this world failed to love Emily well. I'm going to put that out there, and it's true. I know I personally tried to do and say all of the right things when she showed me her tattoo for the 20th time, or loudly interrupted a conversation with yet another health scare. I tried. I was there, and I said the right things. But honestly, my heart wasn't always there with her. Loving her as she deserved. But you know what? Jesus was there. Jesus was there, loving her as she deserved. And I take great comfort in the truth that Emily is in heaven now, where she is finally and fully being loved, like she deserved. Jesus' perfect love is wiping away her tears, righting her wrongs, and making everything in her life new. This love that Emily's now experiencing fully is what Jesus meant when he said this. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live, and everyone who believes in me shall never die. And this truth leads Jesus to baldly ask Martha and us, do you believe this? Verse 28. Do you believe this? Well, do we? Do we believe this? Maybe even especially in the teeth of death as we look around we see people we knew and maybe didn't love very well dying. In her passage, <coughs> Jesus turns to address Mary and then Lazarus with the promise of the resurrection life. But notice he's not doing the same approach. He's not loving uh, Mary and Lazarus like he loved Martha. Martha, he told the blunt truth to And that's what we've just kind of expounded for the last ten minutes. With Mary and Lazarus, he compassionately shows that love, love is bigger than death. Love is bigger than death. Jesus first shows what he thinks of death to Mary, and then with Lazarus, he shows what he's going to do about it. In verses 28 through 37, Mary, at Martha's insistence, and because Jesus asked her to, finally comes out to meet Jesus. Okay? And he, she poses the same difficult question, Lord, if you had been here, my brother Lazarus would not have died. But a careful reading of verses 32 and 33 reveals that Mary says this, collapsed in grief, covering Jesus' feet with her tears. Do we get that posture? That's what's going on in the story. So how does Jesus respond with another declaration of truth, another rational argument about the theology of resurrection and new life? No, he doesn't. Perhaps one of the most amazing passages in all of the scripture, verse 35, perhaps the shortest one, Jesus wept. He wept. The God of the universe wept for and with Mary. He wept over death. And let me tell you this that Jesus understands even now how hard everything we're going through is. And Jesus, the God of the universe, is personally weeping for and with us over the friends and acquaintances and near strangers that we've lost. And Jesus is weeping over these deaths at New Mexico State and weeping for us, even now in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And this should encourage us not to fix the problem or fix the people grieving around us, but also not to ignore these deaths, closing ourselves off to the pain of it. Like Jesus, we enter the pain we enter the fear. We enter the frustration into these deaths. And let's weep with those who are weeping. Look, I understand the temptation because I'm feeling it mightily. Okay? The temptation of moments like this is to harden our hearts and to move into survival instinct. I feel myself doing that all the time. There's so many things to do and so little time left in the semester. But the moment we refuse to weep is the moment we refuse to rejoice. Singer songwriter David Wilcox argues with us, argues with this squeezing off of our hearts about people like Emily and questions like, God, where were you? And the songs show the way Wilcox writes You say you see no hope. You say you see no reason we should dream that the world would ever change. You're saying that love is foolish to believe. And this is what Wilcox is saying. He's saying love and hope are at stake. They're at stake in the way that we face situations in our life like death. Will we wrestle with Jesus? Will we ask him hard questions? Will we weep at his feet? Well, will we? Are we ready to face death in all four days of rotten linens? As always, Jesus is. And he leads the charge. In verses 33 and 38, you see that the charge is not just pure sorrow. That's not the only emotion that Jesus is leading with. It's also anger. Jesus is ticked. The translations of deeply moved and greatly troubled are extremely inadequate. In the original Greek of verse 33, Jesus quakes with rage. Further in verse 38, Jesus isn't just deeply moved. He's quite literally roaring and snorting with anger. That's what it says in the Greek, okay? The original of this verse. Original language of this passage. Jesus hates death. He hates to see all of us suffering from the cause of it. But notice that Jesus isn't mad at Mary. He isn't mad at Lazarus, even. He's raging at death. He's raging at death. In the words of the poet Dylan Thomas, Jesus is raging, raging against the dying of the light. Do we hear that? Do we see that? He hates death. And so out of sweet compassion for us and righteous anger about death, Jesus enters the tomb. He enters death. He goes to Lazarus where he is with a prayer to God the Father and with a command to Lazarus. And look, this is a moment, a moment where all hope looks lost for Lazarus and for Mary and for Martha and maybe even for us. And when Jesus seems too late, and the darkness and the death and the evil seem like they've won, then and there, and now and forever, a dead man walks. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and he unbinds him from the cords of death. And this is a miracle. It's a miracle that sends some to belief in verse 45 and others to the Pharisees to get Jesus killed in verse 46. But this miracle is really just a temporary fix, but it does usher in a permanent reality. Jesus uh, knows this, and we should all know this too Lazarus will die again. He dies again. He raises him from the dead, but he dies again. Okay?
1: We have to understand that,
0: that he lived for a little while longer, but longer life through modern medicine or health and fitness is not true hope and not true love. We need resurrection life. We need Jesus to die for us on a cross and then to be resurrected, to be raised after three stinky days in a tomb and in linen cloths, an awful lot like Lazarus's. Jesus has done just that. Roughly 2,000 years ago, he didn't die twice. He died once. And when he rose again, he lived forever. And he continues to live to this day. And his promise is if we believe in the resurrection of life, we too will live forever. Look, I can't speak for all of the students that have died okay, in the last month or so or in the last few years, but Emily believed in a dead man who's been to death and back. That's what she believed in. And this passage is asking all of us, do we know that man? Will we run to Jesus now and for the rest of our days? Will death be the end that we refuse to think and talk about? Are we just going to ignore it forever, until it happens? Or, in the words of C.S. Lewis, will death just be a chuckle in the darkness? So, where was God last Wednesday night when Emily died? Is he good? Is he truly better than death? That's the question that this passage offers us, and that's the question that is inside of all of our hearts, however honest we want to be about it. But let me give the last word to David Wilcox. Let's finish his song, Show the Way. I want you to listen carefully to the way he tells and then shows that Jesus is bigger than death. He's talking to that skeptic, that person that wants to close off their heart. And he says, Look, if someone wrote a play just to glorify what's stronger than hate, would they not arrange the stage to look as if the hero came too late? As if he's almost in defeat, so it's looking like the evil side will win. So on the edge of every seat, from the moment that the whole thing begins, it's love that mixed the mortar. It was love that stacked the stones. It was love that made the stage here, and it made it feel like we're alone. In the scenes set in shadows, like the night is here to stay, there is evil cast around us, but it's love, love that wrote this play. And for in this darkness, love can show the way. It's love that makes the mortar, it's love that stacks the stones, it's love that made the stage here and made it feel like we're alone. And the scene's set in shadows, like the night is here to stay. There's evil cast around us, but it's love that wrote this play. For in this darkness, love can show the way. Friends, Jesus Christ made stage here, that is life. And even in the dark and death, that sometimes life is filled with, the light of Jesus' love can show the way. And I'm asking you to step into that light. Would you pray? Father, Father, uh, I just pray that you would be with us wherever we are. Um, some of us come reluctantly. Some of us come to you because we think we should. And some of us Don't come at all. And I pray that you would help all of us to come. To come for the comfort and come for the resurrection and the life. To come with the hope that you're bigger and better than death, Jesus. I pray that that would be etched into our hearts. That it would be scored into our minds. And that, Lord, that little mustard seed of faith would grow into a great tree. Lord, we pray these things that only you can do. We pray, Lord, that we lean into you with everything we've got. In your son's name.